So, open up in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. It's not too often you have a 500th anniversary, correct? So it isn't like I can do it next year. There's something not right about saying it's the 501st anniversary. of. So I'm going to preach about this, right? No, it's, you do it on the 500th anniversary. So I'll be taking a break from the book of Judges here this morning, and I'm going to be preaching to you a sermon about the historic Christian doctrine of interposition, and we'll be commemorating a historic act of interposition that took place on May 4th, which is just two days from now, on May 4th, 1521. So it's 500 years ago, and I want to speak to you of that history. But first, let's read our passage. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26 to the end reads, Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap. That's interposition. Standing in the gap making a wall against the evil and the wrong. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you and thank you for this time that we can consider your scriptures regarding this historic doctrine of interposition. And Lord, do it while looking through the lens of this great act of interposition that took place 500 years ago over in the country of Germany. I pray you help me to declare that which you've given me to preach and that you would use it to the glory of your name and for the good and the lives of those listening. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. A reformation that had been brewing for well over 100 years broke out. Things had been building and brewing for well over 100 years when Martin Luther walked up and pounded those 95 theses on the church door there in Wittenberg. Over the next three years, Luther and the Catholic hierarchy, and then Luther and the Pope himself, waged a theological war with writings, decrees, and pronouncements sent back and forth between each other. Finally, on March 26, 1521, Martin Luther received a summons from the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V to appear before him and the Diet at Worms, Germany, within 20 days. 
he would be offered an opportunity there to recant or disavow certain of his writings. Luther already had certain of his writings labeled as heresy by the Roman Catholic hierarchy and had been excommunicated already by the Pope as an abominable heretic. This summons was part of the process to have Luther executed as a notorious heretic. Luther knew the gravity and seriousness of such a charge. He knew he faced a death sentence. Yet he stated to a friend, quote, If I had a thousand heads, I would allow them all to be cut off rather than recant, unquote. The emperor gave Luther safe conduct for his appearance at Worms. Safe conduct meant from the time he left Wittenberg to the time he returned to Wittenberg, no one could molest or assault him. No one would do him harm. He would not be killed. He would not be harmed in any way. In fact, the magistrates themselves came from the emperor with the wagon to take Luther to Worms, Germany. That's what safe conduct is. So he would be able to make this meeting without being killed there. Luther arrived in Worms on April 16th, the final day of the 20 days of the summons. He arrived there in Worms, Germany. We say Worms in English, the Germans say Worms. At Worms, Luther stood resolute and refused to recant his writings. On April 18th, he delivered his thoughts to the council, which was called the Diet, which amounts to about a page and a half of single-space type in our day. The thoughts, his defense, his answer. Because all they really wanted to know was, will you recant these writings? And his answer amounts to about a page and a half of single-type print in our day. Having delivered his speech in German, Luther was then asked to repeat it in Latin. After some hesitation, he did so. He was then reminded that he should answer a simple question, whether he would retract or not, because that's all they wanted to know. He then delivered his now famous response, and here's what he stated. Let me read it to you. Since your most serene majesty and your high mightinesses require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council because it is clear as noonday that they have fallen into error and even into glaring inconsistency with themselves. He was a frank man. If you've ever read his writings, I've always appreciated that about Luther. It's as clear as noonday. You're messed up. (laughs) He's standing before men who can put him to death. You do understand that. He goes on and says, If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. 
Those were his famous words, that final retort. The emperor Charles V found Luther guilty of heresy. He issued his Edict of Worms, which declared Luther a quote-unquote notorious heretic, ordered his quote-unquote apprehension by civil authorities, and forbade, quote, anyone from this time forward to dare, either by words or by deeds, to receive, defend, sustain, or favor the said Martin Luther, unquote. Yet, Charles V did continue Luther's safe conduct and gave him 21 days to return to Wittenberg and see his family. He only ordered Luther not to preach along his journey home. Not to preach along his journey home. When the Catholic officials heard of this, they appealed to Charles to kill him now, to not allow him to leave. Don't let him leave. End it now. But Charles responded by saying, I will not blush like Sigismund. What was he referring to when he said, I will not blush like Sigismund? He was referring to the fact that a hundred years earlier, the Holy Roman Emperor at that time was Sigismund. And John Hus, Jan Hus, had been brought before the council there in Constance, Germany, under safe conduct of the emperor. Just as Luther had been brought under Charles V's safe conduct. But Sigismund didn't live up to his word He had Huss immediately arrested, put in a dank prison, awful conditions, spent several months there, was given a kangaroo trial, and then was burnt at the stake in Constance, Germany. And that was the biggest smirch on Emperor Sigismund's entire career. He was hated even by many Catholics because he gave his word of safe conduct, and he went back on his word as an emperor, and did what the Catholic hierarchy told him to do. Put him in prison, gave him a kangaroo trial, and then burnt him at the stake. He did everything the Catholic hierarchy told him to do. And here it is a hundred years later, and the Catholic hierarchy is telling Charles V to do the same thing to Luther that they said a hundred years earlier to do to us, And Charles V responds and says, I will not blush like Sigismund. Such a huge negative was that on Sigismund that a hundred years later, Charles V refers to it. (laughs) I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. It shows that God has different things for us, doesn't it? Think of this. If it had not been for John Huss's martyrdom, Luther probably would have been put to death there in Verbs, Germany in 1521. He has martyrdom for some. He doesn't have it for others. Amen? We must submit to whatever the Lord has for us in our lives. Understand how important this word was. In the summons given to Luther to come to Verbs, it said, in part, quote, from the emperor, we forward you a safe conduct 
to ensure your personal immunity from danger. We would have you immediately set forth on your journey hither so that within 20 days of the receipt of our mandate, you may appear before us and the states. Would only would be the emperor and the Catholic officials, it would be the princes, the lesser magistrates would be gathered also at this diet, at this council. So that within 20 days of the receipt of our mandate, you may appear before us and the states. You have neither violence nor snares to fear, relying upon our imperial word. We expect your obedience to our earnest wishes. Luther had safe conduct from the emperor. It was the word of the emperor. It meant something. So Luther was to be arrested after the 21 days and turned over to the emperor. But here we see the interposition of a lesser magistrate. We see the interposition of Frederick the Wise. Charles made known his Edict of Worms that Luther is a notorious heretic, that after the 21 days has passed, he is to be arrested by the civil authorities and turned over. But the elector of Saxony, Frederick the Wise, did something other than what the superior civil authority told him. Understand the emperors here at the top, Underneath him are seven electors. One of them was Frederick the Wise. He was the elector of Saxony. Wittenberg was in his jurisdiction where Luther lived and taught at the university. That was within his jurisdiction. And rather than submit to the authority of the emperor, Frederick the Wise committed an act of interposition. And while Luther was coming back to Wittenberg, He had Luther abducted along the road and placed in the Wartburg Castle in Eisenach, Germany. It was a feigned abduction. He did it as an act of interposition and protection of Luther. Luther spent the next year in the Wartburg Castle translating the New Testament into German. It was the first time that the German people which had hundreds of dialects, now had a unified language. First time ever. Here you see the providence of God. Here you see the importance of the interposition of a lesser magistrate. If it had not been for the interposition of Frederick the Wise, Luther would have been killed in 1521. And who knows what would have happened to the Reformation at that point. Luther was an important central figure to the Reformation, not only in Germany, but throughout the world. Men would come from various countries to sit at his table for months at a time and learn from Luther and take the Reformation back to their country. When they had dinner, Katie von Boris said, there was always, at bare minimum, 12 different languages being spoken at her dinner table. That's how important Luther was to the Reformation. He was a firebrand that God used. His thing about the indulgences, important stuff, right? Let me tell you, Christian men before him had already dismantled the absurdity of the indulgences before him. 
But God wanted to use Luther for his purposes because of the fire the man had. Because he was frank and honest and fearless. So that's Frederick's inner position. He protected Luther. Luther referred to it as innocent blood. That Frederick the Wise had kept innocent blood from being spilt by his inner position on behalf of him against what Emperor Charles V wanted to do in executing him. And it took place on May 4th, 1521, and there's so much more I could say about it. I just hope this whets your appetite to do your own study. That is Frederick's inner position. Remember, the title of my sermon is The Inner Position of Frederick and Luther. The Inner Position of Frederick and Luther. That's the inner position of Frederick. But note this. Just prior to his act of interposition on behalf of Luther, Luther himself had committed an act of interposition at Worms. Luther himself had committed an act of interposition there before the Diet in Worms. Understand that interposition can be done physically or verbally. And Luther did exactly that in his talk at Worms. In his word at Worms, he interposed verbally. Most know the famous words which I read to you earlier, here I stand, I can do no other. But few have taken the time to read all of what he said prior to that conclusion. Again, it only amounts to a page and a half of single-space type. I want to read to you some of what else he said before those famous words were declared. He began his talk and said, Most serene emperor. That might sound odd to you, but it was used of numerous monarchs during that era. Serene means clear, fair, and calm. Most serene emperor, illustrious princes, gracious lords. See, the civil authorities were gathered there. This is like Paul before the civil authorities, isn't it? This is like the apologists of old who began all their apologies addressing the magistrates of Rome. And here is Luther before the magistrates. They are there, and he's going to speak of political matters while he defends his position. Listen. He begins and says, I this day appear before you in all humility according to your command, and I implore your majesty and your august highnesses by the mercies of God to listen with favor to the defense of a cause which I am well assured is just and right. I ask pardon if by reason of my ignorance... I am wanting in the manners that befit a court. For I have not been brought up in king's palaces, but in the seclusion of a cloister. And I claim no other merit than that of having spoken and written with the simplicity of mind, which regards nothing but the glory of God and the pure instruction of the people of Christ. Two questions were yesterday put to me by his imperial majesty. The first, whether I was the author of the books whose titles were read. The second, whether I wish to revoke or defend the doctrine I have taught. I answered the first directly, and I adhere to that answer, that these books are mine and published by me, except so far as they may have been altered or interpolated by the craft or officiousness of opponents. As for the second question, I am now about to reply to it. 
And I must first entreat your majesty and your highnesses to deign to consider that I have composed writings on very different subjects. In some I have discussed faith and good works in a spirit at once so pure, clear, and Christian that even my adversaries themselves, far from finding anything to censure, confess that these writings are profitable and deserve to be perused by devout persons. The Pope's bull, violent as it is, acknowledges this. What then should I be doing if I were now to retract these writings? Wretched man, I alone of all men living should be abandoning truths approved by the unanimous voice of friends and enemies and should be opposing doctrines that the whole world glories in confessing. And what he said was true. Even the Catholics acknowledged some of his writings were stupendous and tremendous on the matters that he had written on. But some of his writings they viewed as heretical. And that was why he was declared an abominable heretic and was on trial before the emperor. Listen to what he goes on, because I want you to hear the interposition of Luther now. Note the interposition of Martin Luther here now in Worms in 1521 on April 18th. He said, I have composed secondly, this is what he goes on to say as he continues, I have composed, secondly, certain works against the papacy, wherein I have attacked such as by false doctrines, irregular lives, and scandalous examples, afflict the Christian world and ruin the bodies and souls of men. And is not this confirmed by the grief of all who fear God? Is it not manifest that the laws and human doctrines of the popes entangle, vex, and distress the consciences of the faithful, while the crying and endless extortions of Rome engulf the property and wealth of Christendom, and more particularly of this illustrious nation? Yet it is a perpetual statute that the laws and doctrines of the pope be held erroneous and reprobate when they are contrary to the gospel and the opinions of the church fathers." Here, Luther brings up political matters. These are things that were talked about all through Germany. How Rome was tyrannizing Germany. The abuses they were proliferating against Germany, both theologically and practically, and everything they did against them practically was under the guise of theology. And Luther addresses it. This is interposition. He knew the lesser magistrates, the princes of Germany, were sitting there, and he made sure he brought up these matters, which the churchmen of our day would view as political matters and we shouldn't speak of. Many view abortion as a political matter so they don't speak of it, even though God's word says, you shall not murder. Many refuse to speak about homosexual marriage. The churchmen have been utterly silent about that, by and large, across America and the West, because that's a political matter. As though the Word of God doesn't address marriage. As though the Word of God and the Apostle Paul didn't use marriage as a picture of our relationship to God through Christ. Luther was unlike the churchmen of our day. He addressed these matters. Look what he goes on to say in his declaration of interposition. He said, if I were to revoke what I have written on that subject, 
What should I do but strengthen this tyranny and open a wider door to so many and flagrant impieties? Bearing down all resistance with fresh fury, we should behold these proud men swell, foam, and rage more than ever. And not merely would the yoke which now weighs down Christians be made more grinding by my retractation, it would thereby become, so to speak, lawful, for by my retractation it would receive confirmation from your most serene majesty in all the states of the empire. Great God! I should thus be like to an infamous cloak used to hide and cover over every kind of malice and tyranny. This is interposition. He is interposing against the evil that Rome was dispensing upon the country of Germany, upon the German people. Luther goes on and says in the third and last place, I have written some books against private individuals who had undertaken to defend the tyranny of Rome by destroying the faith. I freely confess that I may have attacked such persons with more violence than was consistent with my profession as an ecclesiastic. I do not think of myself as a saint, but neither can I retract these books because I should, by so doing, sanction the impieties of my opponents, and they would thence take occasion to crush God's people with still more cruelty. That's what Luther said there. The part the churchmen of our day don't want to remember, because they avoid all political matters and talk. Luther understood that God's word speaks to all matters of life, including matters of civil government. And when civil authority impugns God's word or law, churchmen have a duty to speak against it. Christians have a duty to stand against it. This is the interposition of Martin Luther that all the Lutherans of our day don't seem to want to talk about, that all the churchmen of our day of all denominations don't seem to want to talk about. Luther's response in Worms was a verbal interposition on behalf of truth and on behalf of the people of Germany. Note also, Luther preached all the way back to Wittenberg. Remember the emperor told him, you can go back, you got 21 days of safe conduct, but do not preach along the way. Luther preached numerous times all the way back to Wittenberg. Well, I should say up until he was abducted and put in the castle there in Wartburg. But once he came out of hiding on his way to Wittenberg, even then he continued to preach, and he continued to preach all the way to his death in 1546. So there we have the interposition. We have the title of my sermon, The Interposition of Frederick and Luther all taking place there in Worms, Germany. We're celebrating the 500th anniversary of that matter right now. We are commemorating and remembering what they did. But our story's still not over. That covers the part of our sermon, The Interposition of Frederick and Luther, but our story is still not over, so my sermon is still not over. 
Frederick's and Luther's interposition directly impacted the interposition of the churchmen and magistrates of Magdeburg, Germany, nearly 30 years later. How so? When Luther traveled to Worms, he had only three, pardon me, he had only two close friends with him. And on the way back, he only had two close friends with him. And one of those men was Nicholas von Amsdorf. Nicholas von Amsdorf knew that this feigned abduction of Luther, this kidnapping of Luther, was going to take place. Who was von Amsdorf? Who was Nicholas von Amsdorf? Let me simply say this. He was with Luther when he pounded up the 95 Theses. They were both professors at the University of Wittenberg. Katie von Bora, who became Luther's wife, before Luther was anything to her, told a friend, there's only two men I would ever consider marrying, either Dr. Martin Luther or Nicholas von Amsdorf. That's how well that godly woman thought of Nicholas von Amsdorf. And in 1524, when Magdeburg, Germany, became the first city to embrace the Reformation, Luther thought so highly of Nicholas von Amsdorf that he put him in the pulpit there in Magdeburg, Germany. That's who Nicholas von Amsdorf is. Now on with our story of how the interposition of Frederick and Luther impacted the interposition that Nicholas von Amsdorf brought and the Magdeburg magistrates brought. In 1546, Luther died. Charles V decided he was going to use that opportunity to finally crush the Reformation. God and his providence had kept him from it. He had trouble from the Muslims. He had trouble from the French all through his reign. But now he was free to crush the Reformation. Luther's just died. What a great time to do it. And he issued his Augsburg Interim, wherein all of the Protestant lands were to be brought back under Roman Catholic faith, belief, and rule. Some resisted. Some fled the country. Some were put to death. Some churchmen were put to death for standing true to the faith. But there was only one city that stood in defiance, and that was the city of Magdeburg, Germany, where Nicholas von Amsdorf was in the pulpit, who had seen the interposition of a churchman named Martin Luther in 1521 and had seen the interposition of a lesser magistrate in 1521. And of all the cities in Germany, it was the only one to take a stand. It's the story of a city that defied an empire. A phenomenal story. And it happened because Christian men stood true to Christ in the midst of what was taking place. Philip Melanchthon went along with the Augsburg interim. The vast majority of evangelicals, that's what they were called at that time, not Lutherans, went along with the Augsburg interim. But Nicholas von Amsdorf and the other eight ministers at Magdeburg, Germany, did not, nor did the magistrates of Magdeburg, go along with it. Do you see the powerful impact a good pulpit has upon a city, upon a nation, upon a community? The pulpits can either help further degrade and damn the nation, 
And that's what our pulpits in America do, by and large, in our day. Or they can act as a bulwark of truth, of chastity, of decency, of interposition against wicked magistrates who want to act lawlessly. A good churchman in the pulpit is massively important, and that's what happened there in Magdeburg, Germany. In 1550, the churchman of Magdeburg, Germany, released what we now refer to as the Magdeburg Confession. They called it their defense of the ministers and clergy of Magdeburg, Germany. It was an apology which was an act of verbal interposition showing the world that their magistrates were right from the word of God in history to oppose Charles V. They did this just as Luther had verbally interposed there in Worms. And then subsequent to the verbal interposition of the churchmen, the lesser magistrate acted. Frederick the Wise, who was there when Luther spoke, acted in interposition on behalf of Luther, and now the magistrates of Magdeburg are acting in interposition against Charles V. Do you see how important this stuff is? They issued their confession in April of 1550, and in October of 1550, a half year later, Charles marched on Magdeburg. The Magdeburgers burnt everything outside the city walls, which were immense. There were 30,000 people who lived in Magdeburg. They had the thickest walls of any city in the entire realm of Germany. They burned everything outside, closed the gates. A 13-month siege ensued. Over 4,000 of Charles' men were killed. 468 Magdeburgers were killed. But in the end, their inner position, the inner position of those churchmen and magistrates, had such a huge impact that Charles conceded to them. Think of that. If it had not been for the inner position of the magistrates of Magdeburg, the Reformation would have just been a blip on the radar screen of human history as everyone else went along with the interim. If not for the interposition of Frederick and Luther, the Reformation may have ended in compromise and death. If not for the interposition of Nicholas, who was the first signer of the Magdeburg Confession, and the Magdeburg magistrates... Reformation would have just been a blip on the radar screen of human history. If not for the interposition of Magdeburg, the Peace of Passau, which took place in August of 1552, just nine months after the siege ended on Magdeburg, would have never been written, and it granted religious freedom to the Reformers. That's how important interposition is. Now our passage here in Ezekiel chapter 22, teaches what interposition is. The religious authorities were a mess. The civil authorities were a mess. Even family and self-government were a mess. We see that, don't we? The priests are mentioned in verse 26, a mess. The princes, the civil authorities, mentioned in verse 27, a mess. Verse 28, the prophets, a mess. Verse 29, the people, family government, self-government, a mess. 
And God says in verse 30, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. This is the inner position. The interposition of lesser magistrates is critical because, one, it protects the people against evil and bad law. Two, it upholds the rule of law in the true sense of the rule of law. And three, it can abate the just judgment of God. If the lesser authorities go along with the rebellion of the superior authority, God's judgment is sure on the land. If the lesser magistrates stand against it, however... It can abate the just judgment of God. And if there are no lesser magistrates, the duty falls to the people themselves to act in interposition against the evil promulgated by the civil authorities. I hope that this time in this history inspires your heart to read. To read history. Do you know how much I had to leave on the floor in order to preach this sermon? Do you know how much it crushed my heart to leave that much on the floor? You must read history. You must learn. You must think. We are in times when men need to devote their lives to Christ fully and live seriously before him. There is evil afoot. There are vicious men who intend to tyrannize the entire world. Christian men and Christian thought is needed in our day. Don't take lightly what I say to you. Is Robert still here? Can we do hymn 26 again? A mighty fortress is our God. You put all your stuff away? Sounds good. Why don't we stand, open up in your hymnals to, we can let it go for the song. And why don't we sing, um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And then I'll close in prayer after that. The guitar is back. Guitar is back on. Okay, I hear I threw the monitor good. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to cause us woe. His craft and power great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Doth ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same, 
and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils fill should threaten to undo we will not fear for God hath will his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, although his doom is sure, and he more worse shall fail him. That word above all earthly power, no thanks to them abide. The Spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sided. Let good and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you and thank you for this time that we've had to learn about this history, to be reminded of your scripture, O Lord, regarding the important matter of interposition. This historic Christian doctrine that has impacted the lives of men again and again, down through the ages. Lord, we just ask and pray that you watch over each one and give each one a heart hungry for you, desirous to live their life so it counts, a life lived in fealty to you, in faithfulness to you, O God. Lord, we just ask and pray that you be with each home here represented that you build your kingdom within each one's life, within each home, within our nation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.